Welcome to the Strategy Mob Podcast. Tune in for everything you need to know to stay in the know regarding the automotive industry. Here's your host, Jason Harris. Hey, what's going on, Podcast Nation? It is Jason Harris here, and thanks for joining me in another episode of Strategy Mob. Today, I have two very special guests. I have Mr. Top Phillips with me and James Crockett. Guys, thank you so much for taking the time to come jam with me today. Thank you. Thanks, hey, guys, for everyone out there who's watching and listening right now and kind of don't know who you gentlemen are and how you guys got started in the industry, if we can start off with a couple origin stories, I think that'd be pretty cool. All right, uh, Todd, I'm actually going to let you go first. All right, what is the origin story that is Todd? So this isn't bitten by a radioactive spider sort of thing or nothing like that? <laughs> I don't know. It could be. How did you get into the business? <laughs> So I've been, uh, I guess, in the journalism business for about 30 years. So I'm the editor of Canadian Auto Dealer. So that's a, a magazine, both print and digitally, that reaches every new car and truck dealer in Canada. So probably been doing that gig now, let's say, for nine years. And so we're really in the thick of it now during this COVID. But my background is journalism. So I've been a news news reporter. I was in the Arctic for five years covering uh, the, from 92 to 97, way back in the day. Done some radio, television work, but pretty much just uh, just a news guy. And so now we're in the thick of kind of the biggest story of our generation, I think, uh, certainly for the auto industry, probably even beyond. And so for us, it's, it's been a fascinating, uh, fascinating time. So look forward to sharing some of what we've heard along the way. Awesome. Thanks, Todd. I am looking forward to getting right into it. But before so, I want to hear the origin stories that is James Crockett. <laughs> um, started out with myself. I've uh, started out just washing cars with a summer job and uh, got into the industry. I think I was 16 years old. And uh, washed cars, did worked in detail, lot attendant, shuttle driver, was the internal service advisor, uh, worked my way through sales, did internet sales. Uh, so everything I've done every every role in a dealership except for turning wrenches. And uh, it's been a uh, it's been a whirlwind. I've been privileged to be around a pretty good uh, group of people throughout my career. And um, 29 now, I've uh, I have two uh, two Chrysler stores that I oversee and I'm partner in one. And uh, it's uh, it's it's been a whirlwind, but uh, it's been it's been a lot of fun. Yeah, I think a whirlwind is probably the best way to kind of describe this, right? I mean, I think both from an industry perspective and an operations perspective. I mean, you know, from an industry perspective, you know, we're getting hit with new information. It feels like almost hourly. Yeah. It's like it's like one minute we have to do this and then literally, you know, the next day or the next hour, it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa this has got to change. And, and it's it's literally it's just a whirlwind right now. Um, and in fact, actually, that's probably a great way for us to kind of start off this conversation is just kind of what is that current norm, you know, for you guys right now? And Todd, I'm, I'm going to start off with you. What is the current norm? Well, I'd say it's a, it's really a hybrid picture across the country. So you've got dealers, some are open, some are closed, some are partially open. I mean, it seems to be the government regulations come out that change regularly just uh, just a couple of days ago in Quebec. They opened it up again in service as an essential service. So Quebec dealers are ramping up to get things going again. Um, some dealerships are choosing to stay closed for health or business reasons or others beyond the regulations. So I'd say it's about as blurry a picture as you can imagine across the country. One, the, the one thing I'll say is that... Um, those that are opening are still open in some level are innovating at a crazy fast pace. And I'm sure we're going to cover some of that, but I think the picture is, is very mixed. If you were trying to say, how do I buy and sell or and service a car across Canada right now? It really depends where you are. 
That's very true. Uh, James, for yourself, you know, being right there front line, you know, day to day operations, you know, how, how is the new or the current norm, you know, looking for you? You know, the, the current norm for us is, uh, is definitely a, a very limited amount of uh, employees. Um, we're running about 20 to 30% of our typical staff count. Um, but we're actually still doing 70 to 80% of the amount of business. My service department's actually, uh, my service department's actually had a record month last month for our customer side. Um, internal has been down because we've been selling a few less cars and I'm trying to, um, you know, lower my, my, put myself in a good cash position, but, um, it's, a, I've noticed that we've got a, a lot of our key players, obviously are the ones that have stayed. And uh, those people are, are, you know, able to achieve a lot more. So there's there's still a lot of meat on the bone as far as business in their area. Um, and we're handling a lot of that business with far less people and, and uh, you know, doing it in a, in a far more um, efficient way. You know, the, the teams are working very, very efficiently. And it's that has been a really, really cool thing to see. Um, as far as our service drive, we do, uh, I've been tracking it daily. We do between 20 and 40% of our daily uh, customer ROs that are written. The customers actually never came to the dealership, um, so we're doing a lot of shuttling. Anybody that's within 50 kilometers of our dealership will pick the vehicle up, drive it back in, and it's it's worked pretty effectively. Um, you know, we still have an average of 16, 18 people come through the door, uh, and a typical day for us is 22 to 24. So we're still very, very, you know, we haven't felt it, but we're going out to get the business as best we can. And then in our sales department as well, um, you know, we we've uh, I think in the industry have, have really fallen off on on. Uh, following digital uh, retailing. Uh, I, I just think it hasn't been, it's been, a, you know, we've had so many people come through the door that, you know, it's something you might watch and monitor a little bit, but it hasn't been the, the you know, great part of attention put on it. Whereas now it's, you know, it's the biggest part of our business and it's the biggest area of focus. And uh, in that shift in focus, we've delivered 33 to 34% of our in, inbound internet leads month to date this month. And, you know, that's, that's the best that we've, we've ever seen. And, you know, we're still learning every day. So, um, you know, I think that's going to be something that we, we see the focus is there. The business is still, you know, there's still, yes, it's changing, but the core of it's still there. It's just how much are we adapting and, and, you know, how much are we, we utilizing? I, I think that's every, every lead has worked, you know, that much harder. Every, every, you know, customer response has happened, not just with the salesperson. It's like instantly a manager's on it or a general sales manager's on it, or even the GMs, you know, on it. What do we need to do? Sending videos, sending information. And the biggest thing that I've seen um and it's i think a big mistake that that uh auto dealers really everywhere have done is it's you know trying to withhold information and uh i think that's when i'll always you know you're going to shoot yourself in the foot because it's just oh get them in just get them in yeah you know whatever it is but you know we're going in a different approach where it's hey if somebody inquires on one car we send them information on three cars and we send them something higher trim lower trim and the vehicle they're interested in and our best prices and an offer on their trade and we'll send it to them right away so it's you know um not a guessing game. You're not hiding through information. You're just being the epicenter of information and you're not losing those leads. So that's a, a strategy we were using that's, that's working pretty well for us at this time. But like you said, it's hour by hour, right? You got a new strategy every day. So we're, we're going to see what works today and see what works tomorrow, right? So, you know what? It's funny that you say, you talk about leads and it's kind of like, you know, it's like this is the primary source now, right? And, you know, for, for years as an industry, I, mean, I consult with dealerships, you know, all over the country. And I hate to say it, but Internet leads have kind of been treated as like third class citizens, you know, for the longest time. Right. It was like, no, the, the customer in front of me, that's that's the best customer I'm ever going to get. That's 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 the kind of customer I want. And worst case scenario, the customer that makes a phone call to me. OK, now that's my second level. That's that's one. And then and then, oh, shit. 
those internet leads. Yeah, you mean those ones. It, it, not for every dealership, but I would yeah. say for a good chunk of, <laughs> of dealerships out there, they just have never really focused much on that. And so, yeah, it's, it's like right now we have to fast track all of our training efforts, you know, all of our attention to like, how do we communicate with someone online? Because we have always so much focused all of our sales training and our staff to be able to focus with someone either face-to-face or yeah. over the phone, you know, and it's like, that's, that's, that's going to change. So that actually actually kind of a good segue into kind of my next question for you guys is, you know, how do you see this, this new norm, you know, kind of evolve? Like, you know, Todd, I'm going to start with you and kind of the industry side and the gyms. I want to come back to you and more at the operations side, but you know, it's like, I don't know when this whole you know, norm is going to kind of come into play. Like I love how people out there, like just throwing dates out, like, Oh, it's, it's, we're going to be back normal on Tuesday of this month. What? Where the hell do you come up with that? You know, um, but but I feel like it is going to happen at some point where we're going to get this notification from the government saying, "Okay, come out of your caves now. You guys can start to explore a little bit, right?" Um, but with that said, so when when that does happen, I think as an industry, you know, you know, what are the conversations around that? And then you know, at the dealership operations, you know, what is the training that's going to be required to kind of handle that? Todd, I'm going to start with you on this. All right, what are some of the conversations you've been hearing about out there, kind of preparing for what this new norm is going to look like? Okay, I can answer that in a second. I just want to say one thing, just to pick up on what James had said earlier. I think that's quite an atypical scenario you're in, and congratulations to you guys for for still running full full operations, almost even with reduced staff. Uh, I've interviewed a lot of dealers who are either alone in their dealerships, uh, looking around whistling in an empty dealership or, or at their home and just trying to get by in some cases with three people and their entire staff laid off. And, and yeah. when I have conversations with them, they're, you can hear them choking up that they've laid off their entire families and they're struggling through it. So that's what I said at the outset, it's quite a different scenario across the country. So it sounds like you guys have got a, got a different scenario on the positive. So I might want to talk to you on uh, do a separate interview offline uh, to uh, get get a message of hope out there. So how I, th- I think some of this is going to change. Certainly the digital retailing is a big focus. A lot of dealers we talk to and even the supplier community, we've interviewed a number of vendors who provide the digital retailing uh, tools and their phones are ringing, their emails are, our inboxes are filling up because people are saying, okay, finally we have to actually take this a little more seriously. And it's not necessarily this whole full digital retailing all the way to e-commerce and wet signatures, but basically digitizing the experience. And I think the consumers have been advocating for that for a long time. How is this just a better experience? I want to look at stuff in the privacy of my home. I want to navigate your F&I menu on my own. I don't want to be locked in the box for that period of time and you know, be forced in some sort of menu selling operation. So the, 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 the dealerships I'm talking to are saying, yeah, we're already there. We're moving there in some ways. It's a very complex thing. It sounds like it's easy to do, but obviously if you're taking everything from the online top of the funnel all the way through to the final delivery, there's so many bits and pieces of information you know, to try to even price a vehicle to get it down to that accurate price that's that's realistic is not easy science and integration in the background, but I think certainly move to that. I think things like test drives will probably see new protocols in place where dealerships are going to recognize certain percentage of their customers are going to be cool walking back in the dealership interacting once this, this subsides. Others are going to be looking for more sanitation protocols. Uh, even I had one conversation with an OEM uh, leader yesterday, and they were talking about even you know, in the short term, in the service base, if physical distancing uh, continues, the, the service base are four feet apart. You can't even actually service a vehicle and not be in contact with someone else in, in your service bay. Even, you know, in some cases, more than one person is working on a car at the same time. So do, do you go to every other bay, you know, in terms of being able to to, to open, but then still... Uh, Isn't that what the airlines did? Mm. They, they don't sell the middle seat anymore, which I right. like. <laughs> So I'm sure that that would have an implication for dealers on their on their capacity. So 
you know, to be able to get throughput if they, if they have to do things like that. So those are just some of the things I see. But I think profoundly, I think they've all, they're also going to really look at their operations and look at their cash flow positions. And I think they're going to, you know, no one would have expected this, but I think a lot of dealers are pretty highly leveraged and sort of, you know, those that have had, you know, money put aside for rainy day, probably able to weather the storm a little better. But I think some will look at their operations and start to tighten up. Um, and, and look at where they can save money. So that, that's some of the stuff that I've seen from conversation with dealers, but I'm curious to hear from uh, from James. Well, it's, uh, I, I'm actually just jotting down a note that uh, two things that you're saying. So it is it is very similar, actually, like to, to uh, BC. I know BC's actually had a pretty low impact as compared to Ontario and Quebec, but we still have had a, a pretty uh, uh, imminent you know, impact from, from the social distancing and a lot of dealers closing. I actually closed uh, my showroom for 14 days um, and I worked on an appointment only basis. Like currently I have two salespeople and three managers. Like we are down to a very, very limited, uh, limited staff, um, how we've operated. And, and it's really, uh, it's kind of a funny thing. I, I read a book a few years ago and it was talking about, you know, an 80, 20 rule and you should invest in 80% of your customers and fire 20% of them because you're, you know, putting too many, you know, you're utilizing too much of your, um, resources to 20% of the people that are going to be unhappy anyway. And if you devoted that to the other 80%, you're reinvesting in your business. That is almost what we're doing right now. And it is, you know, we, we don't have, we don't let people don't just come into the car dealership. People aren't just showing up to wander around and we're actually not even letting that happen. Um, we're, we're giving people information, asking them actually, if they, you know, aren't serious about purchasing a vehicle that we would ask them maybe to leave and we can send them information and give them an estimate necessary amount of information to help them, you know, make an informed decision. And then if it comes to test drive, we'll disinfect the vehicle and get it prepared for you. Um, but it is, you know, it's very, I think the big difference is, as I've always sold cars, it's been the circus of sales for me, the circus for selling cars. And it's, you know, getting as many people as you can in the showroom, like on Saturdays, we'll book 40, 50 appointments for a Saturday, try and get 30 people through the door and sell 10, 15 cars uh, based on emotion and energy. And I think that's going to be the thing is that's the big, big shift. Um, I, out of people that are through my showroom right now, 90% of these customers are buying vehicles. People are coming in right now, approved, income done before they're even looking at cars. Cause I don't want to not only waste our time and resources, cause I have so few people, I don't want to risk the health and safety of their customers and my own staff. So if we've got an opportunity that's coming through the door, we're going to have the vehicle ready, prepared out front. We're not looking at 10 different cars. We're going to look at one, maybe the second one, but that much resources is tied up to disinfect a car and make sure it's ready. And uh, two, Every, a lot of people are laid off, but you can't finance a vehicle right now. Even if you have an 800 beacon and you make $150,000 a year, you're getting an income call and a job call. And, uh, you know, it's, you're not going to get a snap approval out in BC. Um, you know, we are able to do spot deliveries. Somebody can come in and buy a car delivery and drive it off the lot that day. I know, and, uh, you know, with, with Ombix, uh, regulations, a little bit different in Ontario and different places that, uh, you know, the 24 hour cooling off period. Um, that's really like, that's very similar to what we're doing here right now it isn't you know you need a you need a fundable contract essentially before a customer drives off the lot because you know if you have a, a contract in transit for three to five days and a customer loses their job on the monday when they go back to work like all of a sudden what you know what are you going to do you got to have a lot tighter paper um you know the the, the deals at the dealerships it's every interaction with the customer is that much more you know stringent like every the process has to be perfect but in knowing that we're doing a far better job with it so we uh you know we're, we're still, you know, we're still, we're tracking to sell, my, my store sells about 90 to hundred cars a month and uh, we're tracking to do 75, 80. So it, depending on how it goes through the end of the month, that's, you know, probably what we'll do. But the difference is, is in any other given month, I'd have about 450 people through my showroom or in a live interaction with the salesperson. Right now, I'm more like 120 to 140 tracking. And, uh, you know, we're, we're closing 
55, 60% of that. You know, that's actually, that, that brings up a, a really good point. I, I actually was on the phone with the dealer the other day, um, uh, similar to you, James, you know, um, they, they're, they're down a bit more um, on the sell side considerably. On the service side, they're about 40% down in ROs. But, you know, what they've had to do or what this has forced them to do has actually been a really big eye-opener to, to the dealer principal. You know, they've had to do a lot with a little and uh, he, he was talking to me and there goes, Jason, I hate to admit it, you know, because it might sound bad or not empathetic, but my profit margins right now are, are through the bloody roof. I mean, I have, I have three guys in my, in my dealership right now who are playing four roles. You know, each guy is a salesperson, an F&I manager, a sales manager, and a service manager all into one singular role. And, you know, uh, yes, we're doing less business, but the profit margins are considerably higher. And that's actually a good question. I mean, do you guys foresee when we come back into this new norm, you know, dealerships that have now gotten accustomed to being able to do more with less, with less, like, is that going to fundamentally change our operations? Uh, Todd, I'm going to start with you to kind of get your thoughts on that. And then James, I'll, I'll bounce over to you. Yeah. I 100% agree, and I think that's uh, when we look at the operations as, as dealers come out of this, those have been really impacted in the short term for cash flow and whatever. They're obviously going to look to tighten up their operations, and I think some of will be looking at, do we really need all these positions? I know it's a tough message for the industry if you're laid off right now, just hoping you're going to come back to full employment. But I think as you look at you know, some of these change roles, some of the way that people are interacting, even as we are now through video and you know, so communication, so the sales teams, I think there'll be more remote work available for people in dealerships, whether for health or other reasons. And I think people will get used to interacting. I interviewed a GM out of a Chrysler dealership uh, recently, and I, I visited the dealership before. The first thing that happens when you walk in, she greets you at the door, big smile, super friendly, really, really capable GM. Now she says, now I'm going to have to adapt to actually using tools like this for people and I can complete deals and transact. So when you actually think about the available time to, to work and interact with people using a bunch of other tools, we can actually be hyper productive. And I know uh, that's not necessarily a message people are waiting to come back to work, as I say, really want to hear. But I think dealers will have to kind of start to look at, at the risk to their business that they face during this and, and how much risk tolerance they want to have to go back to really full employment levels. So, and I know there's a lot of legal HR complexity around all of that. But I think I can see them definitely tightening up. James, your thoughts on this? I think you're uh, you, you, I'm, you'd be speaking the same tune. Um, I think there will be a limited... Uh, I, the industry is going to change in a lot of ways. Um, for example, my dealership, I have uh, usually between 13 to 16 salespeople. And I'm in a pretty small market. I live in a, you know, I'm in a town of less than 100,000 people. So, uh, and it has two dodge stores. So you know that is pretty heavy. I don't think we'll ever go down to that. I don't think we'll ever be back to that. Um, you know, we've, we've had a lot of staff where it's, you know, they sell five, six cars in a month, but you know, they're not generating, they're not creating, they're not doing any business. They're simply doing transactions that come through the door. And I think those transactions are going to happen less and less. And also, um, you know, kind of the 80, 20 thing you were talking about, you know, exactly. and the difference is the, uh, you know, the guys that have been with me for three to five years and that sell 15, 18 cars a month, they're professionals. They're going to have a good service. They're not going to leave customers with unanswered questions. And if they do, they're not just going to make stuff up. Like they're, you know, I, I know there's going to be a, you know, more of a linear process happen amongst my sales floor. If I run lean, let's say six, seven guys. Um, but if I have the new guys that are trying it out and I, I know a lot of dealers do it, you know, more, more tits, more milk, right. Um, they're uh, focusing on these young guys and, you know, how, how detrimental are these, uh, you know, inexperienced staff members when you're almost overstaffing, how is the impact of that to your customer experience? 
And I think uh, the biggest wake up call for this is I really do think in a lot of ways things are going to go to a more normalized position again, probably in the next year or so. You know, it is going to go similar, you know, customer interaction, human interaction. We need it. We, you know, you, you need it as, as people like what are every, what is everybody starving for right now? If you're stuck in your home and like you just want to go to a pub and have a beer or like just, you know, go to a buddy's house or sit on a patio or do something. Right. Um, well, the same kind of interactions, you, you know, you, you might want to be interactive with somebody when you buy a car. Something goes wrong with the car. You want to point a contact at the store. You want a relationship. Right. Relationships still really, really sell. No, I um, totally agree with you. But I'm, I'm wondering, though, that it's, if it's going to be slightly modified. It will, in I, in I the sense of sure. instead of a handshake, is it an elbow, you know, but, you know, <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Like, sure. I, I still feel like I, I'm with you, James. I'm, I'm with you on this. Where I'm getting to with this, though, is that I feel that the the uh, the opportunity that you have, I think, before uh, leading up you know, up until February was not valued as much as what it will be moving forward. So I don't think I think more of the top tier level of. Uh, you know, your staffing, your more of your, your senior level managers, I think will be more engaged on a customer level. Um, and, you know, the, the, the old uh, sales manager that, you know, puts a seatbelt on and sits at the desk and works in the desk and doesn't talk to customers, those guys are going to be extinct. It's going to be over for them because the only thing is it's going to be the interaction. And I think from the top down, the highest level of experience is going to be engaged with more of the, more of the uh, consumer side than than ever before i think that's going to be something that that doesn't ever change because we're uh you know we went from year over year over year record sales 2015 16 17 18 you know all the way through and uh you know we might not be as privileged to have those types of uh you know lush economies uh you know in the future here so for every opportunity that you get they're i think going to be treated with you know far more uh uh, importance and, and you know a lot more attention put on them from from pretty well everybody in the industry. I'm with you on this, um, James. Like I I think I think as an industry we're realizing that you know um, we can process the crap out of what we do and we don't necessarily have to bring in so many bodies. I mean, how often have you guys heard this term where you're talking to an owner and they're like, man, you know what? I just need more bodies on my cell floor sales floor like yeah, what, the, sure. what the hell does that mean like, well you know what one thing that i think is that just is nuts is auto responses and templates like what the fuck right exactly like that is but that's been done what template do i use and auto responses and they, and they we use vin solutions i am pretty I'm, I'm a pro vin solutions guy um but they're talking about auto responses and it's you know the templates and and firing tasks and you know really really removing the relationship away from the sales and it is just you know it, it is ta- it is you know you can tell a template, right? You can tell when something's an auto response. You can tell when something's a bot when you're a consumer. And that's what people don't want. But the fact that for years we've relied on that and we haven't even had an in-person interaction with somebody that's actually went online with interest that is requiring to buy a car and we fire them off a bot message from a template. Like, what the hell are we doing? So I think that's going to be a big thing. That's going to be a big, big change. I think the importance of, of every interaction is going to be, you know, more emphasis put on them for sure. I, I'm going to, uh, get the interest of generating a good podcast, I'm going to mildly disagree with you guys a little bit on the, the longer-term impact of this, just because I think it's an expression about technology. I'm probably going to screw it up, but we tend to over-exaggerate the impact of a new technology in the short term and then sort of understate it in the long term. I think in this case, there's sort of a transformation that's going on society-wide that's so much bigger than the auto industry. Even Airbnb the other day, I got an email from them. They're pivoting their entire business model to Airbnb experiences. So rather than go book a place where I don't want to go actually book and stay in someone else's potentially coronavirus-infected apartment, thank you very much, but I can book a time with a 
an Olympic loser for a day or a chef or a violinist or whatever it is. So they're pivoting their entire business model. And I think as people get more acquainted to just the world of this online e-commerce kind of digital experience, it's going to change a lot. And I think there's going to be a lot more demands in the industry for really a much better digital showroom experience for at the OEM level to be able to do virtual test drives, to be able to really navigate your way through a website that isn't such a lead-driven funnel, just driving them into that in-purchase experience. I think it's going to have to transform. I think the OEMs have been trying to push the dealers that way, but they don't have obviously control over all the websites. So they've been sort of trying to push digital retail. But I think Overall, we're in such a bigger change that's going on right now that I think it's easy to get caught looking at our own industry. But if you kind of lift your head up a bit and look around, you're saying, you know, the entire world is stuck indoors trying to figure the shit out, you know, and I think that's going to be a longer term impact. So, so Todd, do, do you see, I'm just going to get your thoughts on this, like, could we potentially see mixed McDonald's style digital kiosk? In dealerships, I mean, where you know you still have a person there, but so if you want, if you want to choose to actually engage with someone, you can walk right up to the counter and order your food like you have. But you know, McDonald's, you know, put those kiosks in place. You know, they lowered their staff, they lowered their labor. Um, in fact, the reporting that comes out is that they've actually increased their their revenue per transaction by almost thirty percent. But by giving the customer that opportunity to build and develop their own transaction. What are yeah, your thoughts I think, on that, Todd? Yeah, the only other thing is people are going to be maybe hesitant to touch kiosk in general, but I, but I agree with in principle that they're going to want to interact with things. I know there's there's already technology out there where you can drop off your car, drop off your keys for service. You can enter in you know the service experience you want. Automated systems that I saw at NADA this year where you drive your car in alignment rack. It's already giving you a digital readout of the work it needs to get done. I think people, the one thing about it is I think there's a generational push here too. The younger people, in my experience, uh, they're, they're less hesitant to want to interact and talk with other people. They'll do all the shopping online, and, and this sounds kind of cliche, but avoid any kind of human contact if possible. So I think that that, that that drive is at odds with the card experience where people are saying, look, if I get them in my environment and I get to interact with them, I've got charisma, I have you know charm, I'm going to be able to you know listen to them, do a needs analysis, do all sorts of stuff. And that that is sort of the traditional experience, and people are really good at it, and, and it's going to work for a big chunk of the population. There's another chunk of the population that, that's going to look at cars as a commodity, and they're going to go, how do I navigate my way through and get the blue one delivered to my... And the, the reason sometimes people in the industrial world aren't comfortable with it is it seems like it's devaluing their, their, their value that they're bringing to it, but it really isn't if you're more of a facilitative approach as opposed to the one that sort of sold them on the idea. And I think people want to sell themselves on stuff, and these digital tools will be available where they're going to quietly and privately sort of self-select and go through the funnel. And then, you know, the magic still has to happen in experience where, where, you know, they're, you make sure they're in the right uh, product. But I, I think that's just some of the things that I've seen, uh, you know, that are, that are broader than that. I'd be curious to hear James's perspective too. Well, I, I have a, uh, it's, it is interesting you say that, but I, the one thing I, I'm a pretty young guy, I am actually a millennial, uh, mm-hmm. but uh, I, I've been in the industry for 13 years. The, it hasn't really changed. Like it's, it is, I don't think we'll go to a kiosk. I think as much as, I think as much as people want information, it's how it's, it's delivered to them. Um, in a different side, I, I was uh, a few summers ago, I was looking to buy a Sea-Doo, supercharged Sea-Doo and uh, was into a, went into a dealer and the guy didn't really help me with anything. And uh, I kind of just got information and, and left. But then I ended up buying a Sea-Doo from a friend of mine was selling it i bought it because i had a relationship with the guy so i do think that that is going to have a really big part to play and i think the other thing is is buying a vehicle is very expensive there's a lot of moving parts to it if you ask a customer 
that is uh, got a lien on their car, a lot of people think that they can't trade it in, right? Because they have a lien on their car. They're still paying for it. Um, a lot of people think their vehicle is worth far more than what it is. A lot of people don't really know what they can get into. And a lot of people don't understand their credit or what they could be approved for. Um, and there's a lot of moving parts with banks. It's not like getting pre-approved for a home. You know, there's loan to value ratios, there's negative equity situations that, you know, we're, we're, you know, obviously that's another topic, but, um, there's a lot of moving parts to it that I don't think it's going to happen all online. I think, I think maybe 10 to 15% of transactions could happen that way. Um, and those are going to be, you know, people that, that do have, uh, you know, are, are able to, 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 you know, you know, prime customers with no negative equity or, you know, lease type vehicles and, and, you know, maybe like a subscription type deal in the future. Um, but, you know, there's, there are a lot of people we do deal with, you know, 40, 50% of our customers are credit challenged, have negative equity. You know, um, there's a lot of differences. So you can spend as much time as you want on a kiosk looking at what you want to see, but a lot of customers aren't coming in and driving away in what they wanted to drive away in. And that's just, it is just a bit of a reality. And, you know, if somebody was to explain to me uh, if, you know, in a, in a, person to person thing about, Hey, you know, you're sitting with a financial, um, you know, person at the dealership and they're explaining to you your credit and they're explaining to you as to why this might be in a stepping stone program. Like a lot of people are in and explaining, Hey, you know what? 2.9% is available, but this is the reason why you're paying 10.9%. And uh, here, here's the facts of why you're driving this car. Hey, I understand you, you like, like that new Ram, but you owe $20,000 more on yours than what it's worth. And those are things that a kiosk is never going to be able to make sense of. And it's going to be, I think it would be a frustrating thing. Whereas, you know, if you actually have an interaction person to person with a customer, um, you know, you, you show, you know, you can, you can, you can show, you know, I guess the path to the customer. Right. And uh, you, you and, get to connect human to human. Right. Yeah. And then no, I, 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 I look, I think it's a valid point, you know, and, and but I think it can go both ways here. And I, I, I think for us as an industry is that, you know, we have to develop out different alternatives right like i i honestly think that we need to give the customer more of the steering of the process so that they can kind of ultimately decide and you know look i, I agree i think there's going to be people that are going to want to come in there's going to be people not going to want to come in you know i i agree with you james that i think people are still going to want to connect person to person in fact i was talking to an f and i manager the other day that is doing you know of course everything you know via video right explaining yeah. everything and you know what he told me he goes honestly jason my my per copy right now is higher than it's ever been. And I said, okay, because well, he, he honestly didn't think that was going to happen. He thought that, you know, being apart from each other and having to communicate, you know, via video that he wasn't going to be able to make that connection. He goes, honestly, I'm actually making the connection faster than I've ever had before. And I said, well, well tell me why you, why you think that. And he goes, it's because of these things. Like, because we're having to use these things to video chat, I'm finding the customers to be very hyper, like attentive. Like they're, they're listening to every single word I'm saying. They're, they're engaging and asking more questions than they ever did when I was in the dealership and in person. And maybe there was just a lot of stuff going on and things like that. So, you know, um, I, I think that there is a place for us to continue to engage with customers from a remote basis, you know, even as we get into the new norm. But I'd love to hear both of you guys' thoughts on this. Uh, Todd, I'm going ahead and start with you. Well, one of the things I think that it's effective is you can, it feels like it's your own time. I mean, you know, in the dealership office, when you're in that F&I office, I mean, all the studies show like that is a painful experience. People want to get out of there as quickly as possible, but there's so much margin to be made in that experience that the dealers can't open it up to make it a good experience. It's one of the last fashions of profitability. So it's like, I can't let you out of here. I've got a lot. I got to, I need margin on the product. 
So they, you know, you're on their terrain and you're, you're in their environment. If you're having that conversation from home, I'm here, you know, I'm, you know, I could have got my coffee here. I'm relaxing. We're having a chat about something. It's all good. This is my time. I'm giving this time to you. I'm not trapped in your environment. I can leave, cut it short anytime. So I think when people get used to that, sort of, it is just communication and the FNI products have great value. I think they don't gap insurance and job loss stuff that I think people are really going to want to hear about that stuff now. Like, you know, where's my protection on that? So I think it's a sense of my time versus your time, right? And, and your terms versus my terms. I think if you surrender, I think you mentioned earlier, Jason, some of that control over to the customer and you just have to let that go and put them in charge of it and sort of, you know, work with them in that way. I think the consumer, especially the big generation of buyers are going to like it a lot more. It'd be a more pleasant experience. So. James, what's your thoughts? Well, I think it's a, it is, it's going to turn into a big service overselling, right? Um, everybody has been withholding, you know, selling with withholding information and trying to control what the customer sees. Um, you know, for example, Facebook came out in 2007, right? That's quite recent. So we have as much as we think the, like the industry is going to change a lot today and moving forward, it's already, you know, it has changed in a lot of ways. Um, you know, there, there used to be dealers that, uh, you know, in Alberta, and, and it, you wouldn't even put prices on the cars on the lot, let alone on the website. And, and, you know, I, I remember being an internet manager in like 2010 and uh, I was like, Hey, you know, we should put the prices online. Hey, eh? like that might drive some more leads. Cause I keep getting these leads and pissed off customers just simply asking what a vehicle's worth. And, and it's screwing up my ratios and I'm not really getting engagement. And like, I was looked at like, it was like, you, you stupid kid, you don't know what you're talking about. Like, you know, this dealer is now not even in the car business anymore because obviously he didn't adapt. Right. Um, but it is, it is, I think the message is, if you're going to have success in the industry, you know, moving forward, and it isn't just car sales, it's any industry, but service overselling, you got to be able to be the epicenter of information and drive that information home. It's not about closing a car deal based on emotion anymore, because the emotion is, is going to be very, very difficult to create. And especially through, like you said, through an interaction where they're in control. If you don't like it, click, you're gone, right? Bye. And uh, you, you can you can just ghost those people. And, and millennials, that is the thing, um, you know, people in in that demographic and age group, they've grown up with these phones since there were some, some of them eight years old. So, you know, a phone call comes in, they block the call, text you, hey, what's up? You know, so like if, if uh, and I, I think a lot of it is, you know, there's, there's over the years, you know, trying to make an appointment with a guy or you got a lead and it's like, hey, I got this guy approved, let's just get him in because, you know, we're going to try and switch him a vehicle or something like that. Um, it used to be like, yeah, well, you know, just get the guy in and, and you know, keep, like treat him like a mushroom, right? Um, keep him in the dark and just get him here. Well, you know, that, that's not working. Like that's not going to work. You got to give the information and you've got to be able to confidently give the information. And, and I think the biggest thing is, is in the sales industry, there's a lot of people are pussies. They're scared of confrontation. They're scared to give bad information. And I think that's where a lot of salespeople get uh, a bad rap is that they're, you know, maybe making something up. And it is, I, I don't think, you know, there are some different folks, but there are, I think people are scared to deliver bad information because they're scared to lose a deal. The reality is you don't have a deal. Don't be scared to lose a deal that you don't already have. Give the information, feed the straight goods, and people are going to give an appreciation of that. But if you're the person that gives the information, and if you're the epicenter of information, whether it's good or bad information, if you deliver bad information, you're still the trustworthy source of information. And it's, I think a lot of it is going to be, you know, how big your reach can be and, and a reputation is going to really, really play into that. Are you a straight shooter? Are you somebody that's going to deliver straight goods? Because then from there, that's going to be, you know, kind of your... Your, your mantra, you're going to have a lot more trust with uh, with community. And I think community is going to be a big thing. We've seen a lot of, uh, over the years, transiency in customers, right? Um, you know, service departments are going down 10% year over year with CPRO counts. Independents are going up 10% per year, right? Your Mr. Lube and, your, and you know, your, your, your quick lubes and that kind of stuff. Um, 
But I think it, it is going to start really growing to the sense that, you know, if there is going to be a dealership, the only way they're going to be successful is that they have a sense of community and, and long-standing tenured staff. I think the industry shifted away from that in the last seven to 10 years. And I have, a, you know, an inclination, an inclination that it is going to go back to that, uh, you know, kind of a community where it's like, hey, you know, this guy's been here for nine years. He sold me four cars. That this, is, this is my guy. And, and I think those are going to be the salespeople that really survive. And I think there's going to be a lot of people in this industry that are going to be in other industries soon. You know, I think that's a great point. In fact, actually, it's a perfect segue kind of into my next question for you guys is, you know, what do we do with our staff? I mean, I, I, th- I think there's a, there's a small percentage of them out there that are prepared, trained, developed, and coached on how to communicate the way the customer now expects to be communicated to. And, you know, how do they sell from that perspective of kind of what you were saying, James, of, of the core of being a community? You know, it's not this fast talk speed, you know, fast talking, slick hair back, you know, just get the deal done, get the deal done, get the deal done. It's like we as consumers, we don't have to deal with that anymore. Like we were we have serious choices. We get to choose who we're going to do business with. And I think we're going to see a a lot more uh, customers are taking the time to do the research to find out who they ultimately want to do business with before they kind of take those next steps. You know, so so from a training perspective, you know, Tom, I'm going to start off with you from just from the high level industry perspective. You know, it's like, what do we do with this, this big body of people that have just never been trained and coached and developed that way? It's a really good question. Actually, at NADA this year, for the first time, there was an awful lot of talk about human capital and investing in training, partly because the economy was so booming that there was really a very, very low unemployment. So they're really trying to figure out how do we train our human capital. But interesting, probably maybe five years ago now, uh, I went over to, to England to study sort of, you know, retailing over there, and, and, you know, the Audi City model and Hyundai Rocker, which was basically a little... Uh, outlet in, in the largest shopping mall in all of England that, that sold and retailed cars and you could take test drives from the parking lot there. And the interesting thing there is they hired people outside the automotive industry. There's retailers. And it was kind of neat to see they're right next to the Virgin Mobile retail shop and all the other, you know, Nike stores. And they hired everyone who were attractive, smart, and they, they tested them for customer experience and and delivering on that that value, right? Providing a great customer experience. And I think the auto industry is going to evolve that way. So that that model, you can actually purchase from kiosk in the store, buy your car online, have it delivered. Next time you go shopping, you drop off your keys, shop for a few hours, come back, they'll get it serviced. I mean, it was crazy. It was like seeing the future of where the industry could go. But the thing I took away really was their approach. They were all consultative salespeople who knew nothing about the car, but they could, and their contract was about a page and a half. It was about like a cell phone contract to buy in a car. So they really simplified all the complexity of it and made it just a really good, fun customer experience. You walked in and there was video all over the place. They only had three cars in the showroom. So to get to your point about training, I talked to some dealers who were saying, I'm not, I don't really want to hire people from inside the auto industry who have moved at this dealership and now they're coming here and I've got to get rid of their bad habits. So if they go and have a really good experience at a, at a restaurant or at a golf club or whatever it might be, and they're just really customer service focused. That's the, the person I want in my dealership because that's what my customers expect. That's the best of breed experience they're used to getting. So you you can't out. It's hard to train out sort of you know years of experience and habits out of people, especially because if you've been in in the same sort of community, particularly if you're you've got I think James you mentioned thirteen sales guys. They're all going to be competitive every month. Who's going to win? They all have their their you know their approaches to make to, the, for success. 
But if you think about it, like what's the experience I'm delivering inside my dealership that differentiates me? I think you'd have a different idea about how, what you need to train in, in terms of your people. So yeah, that's my. Oh, I'm I'm yeah. with you. I mean, I mean, think about that for a second, right? Like if if we hired for experience, all right, how much that would change our industry? And and look, I I, I love it. there are dealerships out there like no, I have sales consultants. They're not consultants. Like, you know, let's let's call call a spade a spade, okay? They they consult about as far as they need to to close a deal. They're they're closers. We look we we, we literally created a culture of what I call a, a superstar culture, right? We don't hire people based on how well they treat customers. We hire them on how well they can close a deal. You know, but I think that's gonna fundamentally change. Yeah. You know, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on that, James. Well, I think, uh, yeah, it, it is, uh, that is exactly it. You know, I think the, the experienced staff that I've had over the years, I've uh, been in my current dealer for about, almost four years and uh, came from another store within our group. So I've had a lot of my key staff, my general sales managers, both my man- my sales managers in this location, um, they've been with me since they were babies uh, in the car business. Like I've raised them to, you know, you know, teach them to walk, right? They didn't, you know, they didn't know how to do anything on their own, but now they do it it's funny. Like I even walk by and I don't, I don't get involved with customer interactions as much as maybe I, I should or used to, but uh, I hear these guys talking with staff and they're using verbatim word tracks that I've used for, you know, 10 years with them. Like it is, it is exactly, you know, what I've interacted with them. And even the way that they deal with like, you know, heat scores or kind of thing like unhappy customers or, you know, if there's faulted vehicles, um, I very much, i I pride myself on my moral compass and I, and I back my customers and I know that my, uh, I know that my staff does it as well because they've been trained with me from this, from the get go. But in the last few years, I have brought a lot of people from, uh, from Edmonton. Edmonton had a very, very hot car market and I brought a lot of old car, old school car guys that, you know, used to be 30 car guys or whatever. They came out, they sucked. Everybody's got the biggest expectations. Their income expectations are out of this world. Um, you know, they want to be paid the moon. They, they want, you know, special contracts. They want, uh, you know, special hours and they're just simply not getting the results that some of these new guys are doing just because they're, you know, they're good people. So, you know, to, to put in line with what Todd said is if you find somebody and you had a good experience at the golf club or at a, you know, at a ski hill or something like that, where you've had this interaction that stands out, those are the people that you need to, uh, you know, find, you can teach anybody to sell a car and really even not even having them have to sell a car. I've got managers that are great at selling cars. I just need people that are, you know, knowledgeable enough how to set up some of these Bluetooth and show them how to use the nav system and, uh, and are friendly enough to talk about it. If they can make a friend, they're just truly just good people with good moral compasses that are interesting enough people. Um, then, you know, the rest is very, very easy. So I think, yes, that, that point is, is very, very true. And I, I think a lot of the people that are trying to be the fast talking uh, people that are jamming people into cars, um, you know, not only are our governing bodies going to help to eliminate that. I, I think the industry itself is going to eliminate that because it's, it is, you know, it's the, the experience is, is huge. And, uh, the, the training and the delivery of uh, of the information is is the biggest thing. Like, you know, a lot of well, uh, we can't we can't just hire bodies anymore. No. I, I think that's kind of what we're both we're all saying, right? Is and it's cool. Actually, we all agree on this one. So this is perfect. <laughs> yeah, right. we're uh, just getting a little. little I'm at another meeting here in about five minutes. That's cool. Hey guys, I know we're getting towards the uh, the tail end of our time, so I, I want to thank you guys for jamming with me. But you know, before you guys go, we get to have my favorite part of the entire podcast, where I get to both ask you guys what is pissing you off. And uh, Todd, I'm going ahead and start with you. Todd, what is pissing you off? You know, I had the whole podcast to think about that, and I really 
struggling to come up with something. I would say, um, you know, with respect to, to our industry, there's a lot of people who um, cling to kind of uh, sort of a fairly myopic view of, of what it needs to do. And they, they repeat that. And some people have sort of made a living out of, you know, having a set processes. And I think the world's changed pretty quickly. And I think I talked to a lot of dealer principals who are really looking at, should I even be in this business? Where am I with my succession planning? What's the impact of this on my thinking a really, really big picture. And they're the very interesting conversations. So sometimes the people who, I guess, in our industry who, you know, ha have to make a living, I guess, it's sort of um, presenting, you know, information sometimes can, can be a bit out of, out of step and maybe not advising the industry. So it's not that it like pisses me off. I'm raging about it. everyone's got to make a living, but uh, it's such a dynamic picture that I, I appreciate podcasts like this where you've got to share, bounce ideas around. It's not a very clear picture, but I'm always kind of suspicious of people who have that absolute clear vision of how it's all unfolding and want to wrap it up in a seminar or whatever it is. Cause I'm like, you know, dealers are super smart, super resilient and they see through, through that stuff. And, and just as a maybe slightly cynical journalist guy, uh, that, that kind of gets under my skin at times. That's awesome. You, you, you're so composed about it too. <laughs> like most of the other people, we get a lot of people on the, on the show and they, there's a lot more four letter words and use and stuff like that. <laughs> okay. You have to, but very well composed. Well said okay. <laughs> James. All right, man, you're up uh, to finish this off here. What is pissing you off, James? Oh, I wouldn't say it's pissing me off, but I find it very, very interesting. And I, I mean, I'm interested to see the change in, uh, you know, kind of just to elaborate what we were just talking about is, is how, how many salespeople that are just relying on trying to, you know, um, I guess jam a sale. Um, it isn't, uh, you know, people got to create value. You got to create a relationship now more than ever. Um, you know, it's pretty sad to say, and it's going to be sad to see that a lot of people are going to lose a, a lot of their, uh, you know, success that they found in the industry. They won't be able to find success without adapting to it. Um, those that had, uh, you know, created value and shown value before and, and, you know, kind of put their customer experience first. I think that they're actually going to really take off from this. And I think a lot of the dealers that, uh, Dealers and salespeople that, uh, you know, focused on the right now and right now only, I think they're going to really, really see it slip. They haven't been taking care of their customers, haven't built a culture and don't have a longstanding staff. I think they're going to find a lot of failure. So I wouldn't say that it's pissing me off. I'm very, very interested to see how this follows, though, because um, those uh, those that make it through this, um, I think are going to make it through with, with, you know, shining stars. It's, it's going to be, you know, uh, almost a compounding effect of something that they've already chased. Um, and I think in the other way, if it's, you know, a month by month thing, it's going to compound even further, right? So um, it's going to be interesting to, to watch. Um, you know, we're going to, we're, we're doing everything we can. We're going to work our hardest and do our best and doubling down on our, on our relationships, uh, not just with our staff, but our relationships with our staff and our customers. That's going to be a, a big area of focus for us. And, uh, you know, wishing everybody the best of luck. Awesome. Thanks, James. Hey, guys, real quick before you go, um, for everyone out there that's listening and watching right now and love to connect with you guys and just kind of follow along with you, what is the best way to do so? Todd, I'll start with you. Sure. Anyone can visit uh, CanadianAutoDealer.ca. That's our website. We, my contact information is there. There's tons of content, video content. We're doing uh, everything we can during the midst of this to help dealers stay informed. We have e-newsletters, video content, all that stuff. So certainly reach out to me through there and I'd be happy to connect and certainly hear any dealer stories or anything out there. So. Awesome. Thank you. James, yourself, best way to connect with you. Best way to connect. I'm pretty active with LinkedIn. Uh, you can find me on LinkedIn. I, I spend a bunch of time on there trying to create positive content and uh, keeping people laughing, keeping people engaged and uh, Instagram. I fired up Instagram in October. So I'm trying to get that going. That's a plug. Give me some followers. <laughs> it's a good plug. It's a <laughs> Hey guys, thanks again for your time. You guys have yourself a wonderful day. Yeah, you too. Thank you. Thanks, Chase.